Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I'm just editing the latest episode of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Who are you talking to this week? Well, actually, I'm the one being talked to. It's my friend Claire interviewing me about my Lesson from Lost. That's interesting. That's a bit different from normal, isn't it? It is a bit different. Does the porcupine feature this week? Well, he may pop up when we start talking about adventures. Well, let's have a listen then. Hello and welcome to the Lessons from Loss podcast, in which we share our stories of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guide and define how we live our lives today. Each episode, I talk to a different guest. And before we start, I just want to acknowledge the energy it takes of all my guests in sharing their stories with me and you, the listener, and to acknowledge the impact that hearing these stories may have. So do please look after yourself while you listen. Now, this week is slightly different because I've invited my very dear friend, Claire, to interview me about the lessons that I've learned from my loss. So this all feels rather weird to be the other side of the mic as such, but I know I'm in very capable hands. So over to you, Claire. Well, thank you, Rachel, for inviting me to uh, interview you on your podcast. It's a privilege to be in your seat, enabling you to share your story after you've given so many people the opportunity to share theirs, highlighting their incredible lessons that have been so inspirational to listen to. So Rachel, you and I go way back, meeting at Portsmouth Poly. Um, safe to say that life was very simple back then, fun, loving, party-going, incredible, hard-working students. Um, maybe one of those descriptions is not true or perhaps less true. Um, we've been friends ever since. Uh, so what's that, uh, 34 years? Um, yes, I value. Yeah, incredible when you think about it, isn't it? Um, I value our friendship um, for many, many reasons, which could take up the entire podcast, um, which I won't do, uh, because that would take us away from the reason that we're here uh, for this podcast. But one of the many special parts of our friendship is that by knowing you, I got to know um, Bruce, and I will always be grateful for that. Um, We had so many good times together, and uh, they still fill me with joy when I cast my mind back um, to those days. Um, you and Bruce are very special to me and Dave, my husband, and Bruce was our best man in, in our wedding. Um, so very happy, happy memories. Um, Bruce endured a long battle with cancer and boy, did he give it a run for its money. And you, well, as ever, I was in awe of you, um, how you managed to manage a newborn baby, uh, Bruce's operations and treatments, and somehow live your life too. So tell us about the impact that that diagnosis had on you. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Um, My goodness, we have certainly been through a lot together, through thick and thin over those 34 years or however many it is which have gone by in a flash. But yeah, I have always really appreciated your your support during 
during you know those difficult times but you know we've we've had a lot of fun as well along the way we have indeed yes <laughs> so gosh yes the diagnosis well it's not what you expect when you are a year into marriage most newlyweds are you know getting on with our lives planning families well in fact you know as as indeed we were we were both newly qualified in our chosen careers and you know had hopes and dreams for the future um it was a slow burn so nothing in any of this ever happened quickly which kind of did help it sort of ease into so for um I would say about 18 months there were lots of tests, uh, scans, um, hospital appointments going on, and nothing was ever conclusive. Mm. Nobody had ever really kind of made the connection. Bruce had been ill as a child. He'd had Ewing sarcoma, um, had a ton, you know, multiple surgeries, a ton of um, chemotherapy during that time. And, um, you know, it took, you know, the doctor never suggested that he went back to the Marsden, his GP, um, but they, they were still in contact with him on, a, on an annual basis. So it was only when he went back and sort of said about some of these symptoms that he was having, he was having, well, he called them whiteouts. So they were like blackouts, but actually he wasn't going black. It was just going white in front of him. And yeah, so we had a whole round of tests and scans and everything else and nothing was conclusive until probably about 18 months later, they um, finally discovered that he had a very slow growing tumour called periganglionoma, which was on his neck and was sort of sitting on his arteries in his neck. So um, yeah, he had, he had surgery and because he'd had so much chemotherapy as a child he didn't know whether he would be able to father any children so it was at that point that we thought crikey you know if, if this is coming back and he's going to have more chemotherapy more radiotherapy we need to start our family so tried and thankfully Zoe a little miracle came along you know within about a month of well within a month of trying I fell pregnant so obviously there were no problems in in that department which was which was just wonderful so I think the first real low point was him having um, huge, huge surgery six weeks after Zoe was born. I'd had a C-section. So, you know, really, I kind of just had to get on with it. Um, yeah, major surgery. They had to fly a specialist in to, to deal with it. They basically clamped off the arteries to his brain. So there was a, a definite very high risk that he may have had a stroke or died during the surgery. But thankfully, that all went OK. And then he had, uh, I believe, six weeks from memory of radiotherapy. And that was the first time that it was just really, really awful because the hospital was just around the corner from us. And he he walked there every day and came back and just went to bed. And that was it for six weeks, just lost load, loads of weight. And I think that was the first time that I began to really kind of worry that this was um you know this that this was going to be the end really but he battled on through and was um was told that it had all gone they'd got it all and he was in remission so so that was really lovely and we could sort of start to to pick up life again 
Um, but sadly, on his it was actually on his 30th birthday, so in December 1995, uh, he was given the um, news that actually it was back and it had spread onto liver, bones, um, and that it was that it was terminal. There was nothing they could do about it, but you know they could manage it with more chemotherapy. When when you know that there there is that sort of finality, how how do you deal with that? When there you know you know that this this isn't going to get better. How do you come to terms with that? And how did he come to terms with that? Sure, he was so positive all the way through. Um, you know, I can remember when we bought our house in Maidstone and it needed doing up. He would go and have his chemotherapy in the morning up in up in Sutton, in Marsden in Sutton. So he wasn't having it locally, drive back and then would, you know, would be ripping out the bathroom or the kitchen. I mean, his, he had such positive strength with it that actually it kind of just pulled me along with it because you know who who was I to be to be down or concerned about it when he was just like no you know we're just going to get on with okay. with life and we had lots of holidays and you know even on um, actually on the oh, either the day of or the day before he died you know we were we were planning our next our next holiday away mm-hmm. you know he was just always he he and particularly when Zoe came along you know, he was absolutely determined he was going to see her grow up for as, as much as he could. And I think that she was a real motivation and an inspiration for him to, to stay as well and alive as, as much as he possibly could. I think it's interesting, isn't it, having that sort of positive mental attitude, um, how it can take you into realms that maybe if you kind of accepted this is it, it's terminal, that um, it it does give you something extra, it gives you that will and maybe does buy you time. I mean, you do hear of other stories, don't you, where people have, you know, lived a lot longer than doctors first thought because they, they have things they need to do and want to do and children that they want to see grow up, etc. It's It's quite incredible, I think, the power of the mind, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And we were never given a time scale. All they said was, you know, it's a slow growing primary. So therefore, the secondary will be slow growing as well. And as it was, we actually had five years together, which was which was just amazing, really. And, and I'm really glad that they didn't give us a time scale, because otherwise you just think when you get to that time limit, you think, well, OK, that's that's kind of it. Whereas, you know, it was just, you know, just keep going for as, for as long as you can, really. And he he had such a fantastic I'm not giving up attitude that that did keep him going. And I would say it was probably only, it was only the week before that he decided that he didn't want to continue with treatment anymore. I think he was just utterly worn out with it. Mm-hmm. And we went up to the, we had his hospital appointment and he said, you know, I, I don't want to have any more treatment now. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he died a week. He died a week later. So, how did you feel at that point when he made that decision? 
well all along it you know it was it was his decision all the way along mm. and it was you know my role there w- was to support him in whatever mm. he wanted to do however he wanted to to do it you know it, it was not for me to to say no come on you can carry on because I you know I'd I knew and and to be honest you know I I was pretty exhausted too mm. It's it's a really funny thing having a, a living with someone with a terminal diagnosis because you know that I obviously felt huge guilt at times that I was healthy, right? That I I had a future. I had a f- and particularly with Zoe, you know, I had. I think Bruce realised that you know he was never going to see her married, whereas mm. and that would be something that that you know fingers crossed that that I would or at least at that point in time you know there was no reason to to think that I wouldn't have mm. so there is an, a, a real element of of guilt that actually they're not they don't have that real sort of long-term future yet for me there would be a you know I would have time after Bruce I would have time you know as as a as a, as a mum looking after Zoe on her own so that was that was that was hard mm. so after Bruce passed how did you find those first few weeks and months how did you cope well I think you're just on autopilot really uh, there's always so much that you have to deal with administration wise after somebody passes away that you do just go on autopilot but I think because I'd you know there'd been such a long lead up to it people a couple of people had asked me before he passed away you know like you know what are you going to do how are you going to how are you going to deal with things and and I think I just always knew that somehow I would get through it well I had to because you know we, we had Zoe you know there, there wasn't yeah. an option to not you know I, she was um, six when he passed away so I you know I had to get on with it and I do remember very very clearly on the day after his funeral my parents were leaving because obviously they'd been down to stay and waking up and just thinking well uh, this is now the the beginning of the rest of my life I've, I've got to get on with it and and I think I just threw myself back into life. Um, Bruce had very, you know, he he was very generous, and and he had he had said in sort of some of the conversations we'd had before he passed away, you know, don't don't spend your life grieving for me, you know. He mm-hmm. he kind of added, obviously, miss me, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but you know said please you know I I want you to go out and and live your life and I you know and I want Zoe to live your life and I I I want you to you know to be happy I I want you to to find a new partner which I thought was just incredibly generous of him to give me that blessing I suppose to go forward and to live my life and and I think actually that's really that you know does drive me forward to actually you know he he wasn't able to so he was 33 when he passed away so you know he wasn't able to see his you know the majority of of his um 30s 
and you know we'll never have the 40s the 50s the 60s the you know the chance to to breed to you know to be a grandfather or you know all of those you know to give Zoe away at her wedding so so it's you know I owe it to him to to do all of those things so that really really drives me forward with the things that I do in my life. That's really interesting, Rachel, that um, I wonder whether that's where your zest for life emanates from, is that permission that Bruce gave you to make the most of everything. Because when I look at you, that's what I see, is somebody living life to the full, taking opportunities, maybe moving out of your comfort zone, well, in so many different ways and trying new things, different things, and almost as like a responsibility that you feel perhaps because you were given that permission and you are here and he isn't and he wanted you to do the best that you could and to enjoy life. Yeah, I, I think that's there's certainly an element of that in there. And and I think also um, sort of very much tied in with that is it puts life into perspective so I don't well I, I say I don't I do but I pull myself up on it when I become aware that I'm doing it I try not to worry about the small things in life yeah. because once you've dealt with something as as big as that yeah. you know it's it's like well okay that's you know that's not such a, a big deal really in the grand scheme of things but yeah I think definitely you know I've 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 definitely become more adventurous since then and I think those adventures I mean even (laughs) as much as you know after he died I um I had a friend who had moved out to Australia a couple of years previously and as it happened she was actually back visiting the UK just after Bruce died so so her and her husband came and stayed with me um you know just a couple of days after the funeral and and they said you know come out to Australia so, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I am. And, you know, I'd never been out of Europe. And I took Zoe, she was seven, and the two of us went off to Australia. And we didn't just go and stay with my friends. You know, we'd, we went to Singapore on the way, had a couple of days there. We went to Sydney. We, we went um, further up into to Queensland, north of where our friends lived. So, you know, for three weeks, we were traveling around on, on our own little sort of road trip, which was yeah. way, way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we did it. And I, and I think actually from that, that really gave me the confidence then to go and do other things. So, yeah, so I, I, I really enjoy it. It's, um, I suppose I'm comfortable. I've grown comfortable with the uncomfortableness of being out my comfort zone, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It's, uh, I think if you can become comfortable being uncomfortable, that's, um, that's a, a great achievement because there's so much in life that is uncomfortable, isn't there? And to be able to be able to, to deal with that and to manage it and almost I always think you seem to enjoy a little bit of that as well that uncomfortableness of pushing yourself a little bit further and I often think well Colly, what's she doing now what what what's 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 she up to what's the next what's she doing now <laughs> 
Well, I think it's because when you put yourself in your com- out your comfort zone and it goes to plan, or not even goes to plan, but you know, it, it's it's a success in in some way, shape, or form. Then you, it's that just that magic feeling, isn't it? It's it's that elation. You know, I I spoke at a conference um, a number of years ago about this whole sort of whole topic of of loss, and I can remember being absolutely terrified. I think I was on in the afternoon and there were all these amazing speakers in the morning, but don't ask me what they were talking about because I was just so in my zone of, oh, I'm going to forget this. I'm going to forget my words. And, you know, and and after lunch, I don't think I ate any lunch and I was just shaking, but oh my goodness, the elation afterwards of, of having done it was just amazing. And, you know, just putting out this podcast was a, a real step out of my comfort zone. Actually being on this side of the uh, of the interviewing table is out my comfort zone but you know it's it's I think it's where the magic happens so yeah I'm always looking for ways in which I can just kind of do that pushing those boundaries isn't it constantly and then feeling that wonderful feeling of um of achievement and as you say not it's achievement in many different ways isn't it that sort of internal feeling of oh yeah that was good as opposed to uh, any measured success or external measure of success in lots of ways so what came next then you came back after your trip and I guess that it was a case of right well where do we go now then yeah well we so actually at that point I um not long after that bought a horse so which had been a lifelong dream um but I would say in throwing myself back into life I didn't actually take time to grieve or perhaps didn't feel like I had to because I was so kind of hell-bent on on living life but um as I know a lot of people that I've already spoken to us on this on this podcast know is that you know grief does eventually catch up with you and it did about five years later and it was at that point actually that that became a real turning point because as I was going through that well it didn't really present itself as as grief I mean I think perhaps everybody around me could see that it was grief and and for me I just kind of felt completely overwhelmed by life good friend of mine gave me a book called feel the fear and do it anyway by susan jeffers and it was the first self-help book that i had ever read and i was hooked and i just thought god this is amazing you know i've I've learned from reading this book that actually um you know i suppose that was the whole my whole introduction into to putting myself out the out the comfort zone feeling that fear and and doing it anyway, because inevitably, you know, there will be something good that happens from it. So that sort of piqued my, started my interest in all things to do with sort of coaching, self-help, taking responsibility for your life and general sort of well-being. Um, I was also sort of fortunate at that time to, or just after that time, I met my partner Travis and he is very much about sort of taking responsibility and you know was always very encouraging of um, me trying new things as well and you know would be yep go for it life has its ebbs and flows and I somehow found 
just coming up to about my 40th birthday that I had ended up in a job that I hated really wasn't happy doing it and I can remember getting my pension forecast because that was about the time they were changing the pension ages for women and it's saying that you know I, I had to work for another 27 years and some random 143 days or something and I remember sitting at my desk thinking god I don't even want to be here for the next 27 days let alone 27 years and it, it, the job was had got to a point where it was beginning to to impact my life outside of work as well and I thought right well either either accept that you're going to stay in this dead-end job and be miserable or do something about it so I decided to retrain so I looked around at lots of different options I knew it wanted to be something to do with with well-being so trained as a sports massage therapist and it was during my, that was a year-long training, and it was during that that I had the opportunity to change the job, this horrible job that I was in. And um, I started working for a local carer support organisation as a carer support worker. And it was just really interesting, actually, how that all kind of wove in. So I finished my training as a sports massage therapist and was really lucky through a local connection to get in with a fantastic chiropractic clinic, Southcote, which I'm still working from today, 12, 12 13 years later. Um, but also the carer support work. And actually, you know, it was it was because I had experienced loss and that I had been a carer and it gone through yeah. obviously losing Bruce that actually made me a good candidate um, to be able to, to get the carer support worker role. Mm -hmm. And I'd been in that job probably about a year and a half, absolutely loved going out, found it so fulfilling going out and, and supporting people in their caring journeys mm -hmm. and being able to sort of empathise with them because I, I knew what it felt like for me to, to have been a carer for all that time. And there came the opportunity to become a facilitator for a new training programme, a national training programme for carers, which I did. And then when that stopped, I then decided that actually I really loved facilitating groups and helping people. So that was then when I trained to become a coach. So, you know, I'm very grateful to have had, I suppose, that experience that enabled me to you know that that took me down a career path that perhaps I wouldn't have gone down mm. had I not had that experience of, of being a carer and then that experience of of loss afterwards so yeah it's been it's been really interesting I and I think that's one of the things with with I suppose the experiences that you go through whatever trauma you go through is that it it kind of just takes you down a, a different path, a different trajectory of life. And, you know, sometimes I, I sit and reflect what would life have been like had Bruce not been ill, had he still been alive? And and I can't honestly say it would be, you know, I don't know, it, it would it be better, would it be worse? Who knows? But it, it would have been different. I'm a great fan of that Sliding Doors film. You know, we're just in in a set. Do you know, are you familiar with it? No, tell us about oh, that. Oh, okay. So it's a film where, and it's it's basically this film follow two two lines, and it's about this girl getting on the um, 
tube in New York and subway, isn't it, in New York? And in in one part of the film, she gets on the subway and in another on the like this sort of um, parallel life, she misses the subway. And it's about how this just this very, very sort of simple thing, which doesn't seem like it's a big deal, actually changes the course of her life. So the film just kind of maps out of her going, her life going in one direction because she missed okay. it and her life going in another di- direction because she got on it. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think that's the way that I treat everything that happens to me in life that, well, it will just take me down a, a different path. It's, it's an adventure. That, Rachel, I think, isn't it? That you are open and curious to find out different areas, different avenues because I think you have to have that mindset. Otherwise, you perhaps wouldn't pursue those things that opportunities could come up. But um, unless you're open to them and curious to find out what if this happens or I could do that and you explore those, I think it would be very different. And I think that's got a lot to do with your outlook on life, I think. Yeah. And definitely with with my you know with my family and friends and my partner around who who are all very supportive of those things that I do and say yeah go go and try those things yeah I mean even with the running you know I was only ever going to run one marathon and on that first marathon I happened to or we happened to come across some some older guys wearing 100 marathon club shirts and just thinking that's balmy um but the seed had been sown and we went home and and researched it and yeah lo and behold there is a club called the 100 marathon club there is this whole community of people running multiple marathons and so you know they're sort of all our running adventures started um, and actually, I only got into marathon running because of my training as a sports massage therapy because I therapist because I volunteered at the London Marathon and just wow. saw all of these ordinary people, you know, just regular people, all shapes and sizes, different levels of fitness coming in afterwards and just thinking, well, if they can do it, then, you know, maybe I could do that. So it's, you know, when I look back on my life, there's everything just kind of you know, one thing then just leads on to to another. So, yeah, I guess I I'm never stagnant for for very long, really. <laughs> but from so that, they, you, yeah. sorry, you take inspiration from around you, don't you? Yeah. What, what you're telling me now is just like everything that's happened along the way has somehow not been a closed door, but you've used it as an open door, and it's inspired you to do things differently. Yes. And maybe that, you know, that started off with that inspiration that I got from Bruce, that that permission, that encouragement to to go and go and live life to the the best that you can live your life for me sort of thing. So I wonder, did he realise what an incredible gift that he gave you by saying that? wonder could you ever mm. have imagined because it it has been a gift I think hasn't it yeah. as we're talking now it's just gosh that that was a real gift that he gave you I'd like to think that he did but 
I'd like to think that he's up there watching over, just going, yeah, keep going, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> You're doing great. Nice to meet you. What are you going to do in 2022 then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, show me something different. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's been, you know, I've, I've learned so much from that whole experience, obviously, you know, grabbing opportunity, you know, just grabbing grabbing opportunities that life throws at you and, and getting comfortable with being outside that comfort zone. People often say that you regret the things that you don't do. And whilst I think that is true, I actually don't regret anything that I've ever done because of that whole kind of sliding doors analogy because it's it's got me to where I am now by having done that thing you know people sort of say oh you know were there any great concerts that you that you would have loved to have seen and you know I would have said oh I regretted not taking the opportunity to go and see Freddie Mercury Queen at Nebworth but the reason I didn't go was because I already had a holiday booked to go to Spain and that was where I met Bruce so, you know, how can I how can I regret not having seen Freddie Mercury yeah. when, yeah. you know, that was the reason that I didn't was was meeting Bruce and everything that has followed on on since. Absolutely. I mean, that would have been a completely different trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I just the things that I do regret now, I would say possibly are the things that I have done. And that really is kind of around not so much things that I've done, but perhaps the behavior. So I, I regret where I perhaps haven't been as kind to somebody or, so more those kind of relationship mm. things perhaps I regret. But also leading on from that, what I've learned, oh, I've learned about forgiveness as well. Okay. So those things that I do regret, where they have involved other people, um, mm -hmm. I have learned to forgive myself and where, where appropriate, I've forgiven them as well. Because do you know what? life's too short to, to bear grudges or to, to be angry with you or to not forgive yourself either. You know, I could wake up every morning and just go, oh, God, I wish I'd been kinder. You know, there was, I, I wasn't always the kindest person to Bruce. And, you know, that just makes me really sad. But then I think, but you know what? It was a really difficult time. And he wasn't always ever so kind to me either. So, you know, but if you wake up every morning just going, oh, I wish I'd been kinder, I wish I'd been nicer, that doesn't get you anywhere, does it? But to actually forgive yourself, but in that forgiving, take that as a lesson to actually write, well, well, next time, you know, if this situation arises again, I'll I'll try my hardest to be to be more kinding, to be kinder, to be more compassionate, to be more understanding. So it taught me a lot about forgiveness. Yeah, it's incredible to have that self-awareness though, I think, Rachel, as well, that you can you can actually see that because sometimes you can get very caught up in 
in things that don't go quite so well and not be able to detach yourself from them, to actually kind of analyse them in the way that you're talking now about being able to forgive people and yourself. That, that requires a lot of self-awareness to be able to do that. Um, and again, it's that curiosity to find out what's going on under the surface, isn't it? To see whether you can learn from that and then transfer that into future behaviour. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that all came from that very first reading of Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which mm. I was given because I was, you know, in a having a, a breakdown and was feeling completely overwhelmed with life. And although I didn't acknowledge it at that specific time with, with grief as well. So yeah, it all it all stems from that experience. So what, what does the future hold for you then? Well, it's quite exciting, I think, okay. looking forward, because we are, Travis and I are beginning to wind down SVN to a far more manageable level. So that's our running events. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, that gives me the time to be able to pick up on my therapy work as well, because whilst I don't do the sports massage anymore, I've actually specialised in scar work therapy, which I love doing. I just find it such profound treatment. So I'm really looking forward to being able to, to do more of that and, and, and expand just you know, anything to do with, with um, health and, and wellness. So looking forward to that. But I, I mean, you know, there's still plenty of places we want to travel, but I think the travel will certainly for the next few years, probably be a bit closer to home. But I think something that I've been reflecting on the last few days, actually, is, you know, life is an adventure and adventures don't have to always be fast paced, thrilling, you know, high value stuff. You know, adventures can be really small adventure. And, you know, an adventure could be just going down a different footpath when you're out for a walk mm. or I don't know learning something new you know this year during or over the past two years with all the lockdowns that we've had you know I've really taken the opportunity to to try different things I've really got into my music and dancing so I dance several times a week and and in fact just before Christmas there was a free belly dancing class going on which one of my friends alerted me to so so I did that and it was great fun and I you know and I hope to be able to to carry that on next year so so I think it's you know or just treating just different things in life as as an adventure and then that just makes it, you know, really exciting. So, yeah, I think there's there's lots, lots more adventures along the way, some of which I know about and are already kind of in the making of. Um, and others, I'm sure, will just kind of present themselves. I'm certainly going to keep up with the open water swimming that I'm doing. You know, that's a real adventure. Met a great bunch of people there. I've joined a new choir. Um, so getting to know lots of people there. Yeah. It's just going to be lots of lots of good stuff coming up. Yeah, no, and I think the way that you view things is inspirational as well, because you're right. An adventure could be, 
you know, an incredible trip to somewhere foreign. And, and I think that's what perhaps we all look at as, as adventures or maybe some extreme sport um, opportunity. But you're right, it's taken a new path down um, down the road, isn't it, that you haven't been before and, and making the most of those very little things that can make your day and change the way that you look at things and uh, yeah that open water swimming I'm still um, still in awe of how you manage to do that that uh, those temperatures in the winter I, I, I really struggle with that adventure part of it <laughs> <laughs> you won't be joining me then <laughs> not in the winter anyway but I think actually that's quite a good um analogy also of I think this whole experience it's woken me up because I'm a firm believer that in order to experience great joy you also have to experience deep sorrow so you're at these you know your spectrum of emotions are really wide so you get mm. deep deep joy at that end but in order to experience that you have to accept there has to be deep deep sorrow and whilst you know I, I'm really excited about 2022 and and all the adventures that you know that are, are going to happen I also acknowledge that there's probably likely to be some pretty horrible times as well you know possibly but it's it's about learning to ride that that rough with the smooth and that when you've got you know, when, when you are in, in darker times, that, that you know that, you know, at some point, somewhere around the corner, there's going to be great times ahead as well. And I think the cold water swimming actually sort of reminds me of that because, you know, you get in the water and it's so, so cold, but you know that when you're out and you're back home, you are going to so appreciate that hot shower. Mm, far absolutely. more than you would do just normally <laughs> yeah no I can see what you're saying there and I think you're right with that roller coaster of emotions it's knowing that's part of the human condition isn't it that we have all of the emotions and they all pass nothing stays yeah. forever yeah um, and you know when we're in difficult times it's a case of this will pass but also hanging on to some of those really lovely moments and savouring them because you, as you quite rightly say, they don't last forever. Um, no. And that's part of, of, I guess, the human, human condition, isn't it? That we have those wonderful emotions and such a range of them and, and are able to experience all of them. Which... Yeah, absolutely. When I have those moments of, of deep joy, when it's just like, oh, do you want, I can't imagine life being any better than this. I consciously go capture, capture this moment and just kind of hold myself tight and just, I just absorb it all in because I may need to call on this memory at some point in the future. And I've yeah. got them all stored up there. And without doubt, I think they help us in the darker times, don't they? Being able to reflect on those wonderful, joyous times that we have. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing your um, incredible story. It's been truly inspirational um, listening to you today. And also, I'd like to thank you for giving people a platform to share their stories, because that's given us, as the listener, an insight into grief and how it can sometimes provide people with a real springboard to growth as they learn valuable lessons from loss.
thank you. You have done a fantastic job of, uh, of being in my chair. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much, Claire. You did a great job. It was quite a challenge being the one to share a very personal story. And I have even greater admiration and gratitude for all my guests and sharing theirs. I want to acknowledge the wonderful people that I have around me who support me, not only in the making of this podcast, but generally in my life. My partner, Travis, for enabling and encouraging and sharing that sense of adventure. My daughter, Zoe, who has blossomed into an awesome young woman that her father would be so proud of. And my friends and family encourage, support and are by my side through the joys and the sorrows of life. Thank you to Claire's son, Jamie Farrell, who wrote the beautiful music. And finally, thanks to you for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another lesson from loss.